HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's November 18th, 2014. It's almost Thanksgiving. I can't believe it. Uh, we're talking about hops and, and uh, Alaska and uh, some cool things going on in, in, in New York City uh, as well on the show tonight. There's no theme tonight. It's uh, hops in Alaska. So welcome to the show. Though. Thanks for our sponsors, greatbrewers.com. Um, We've got some very cool guests in the room. Uh, brief intro, Mark Z- Zapsodi was a noted New York City home brewer, active in uh, a lot of the beer scene in New York City. And a few years ago, uh, he, he moved up to Massachusetts, where his wife's family was from. And since then, he's uh, become a farmer. He's uh, bought, a, bought the farm and uh, he's growing hops and soon to, be, to have a brewery. So tied in with that, his, his, his good buddy, Amy Zavato, who's the contributing editor for Imbibe Magazine, who's one of our top uh, spirits and, and drinks writers in the, in the city. So, Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jimmy. So, we've got, we got a lot of other folks coming in. Corey Bonfilio, our good buddy, Beer Street, Proletariat. Uh, Josh, who just opened the well out here in Bushwick. Our good buddy, uh, Jay Bolin, who's uh, the 49th. He comes every winter. He makes beer in Alaska, <laughs> and uh, when, it's, when it's too cold out there, he comes back to New York City. 49th State Brewery. So, this is a nice show. We're going to cover a lot of bases tonight. Um, but, Amy, it's your first time on the show. Tell us a little bit about Mark Zappazzotti and... Uh, the things that he inspires you, because this is this is one of those heroes of, of beer that that we love, that everybody wants to be like. Oh, Mark on. really did inspire me because honestly, the terrible thing I'm going to admit is that I really didn't like beer before Mark Zappazzotti, and Mark made me love beer. Um, oh, Amy. Yeah, it's true. It's true. He's a really talented brewer who used to live where I live in Staten Island. Um, he was growing hops. He was making amazing things, and then he just sort of showed up at our house one day and said. We're going to move to a farm and grow hops, and we're leaving. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'd like to hear, Mark, what's a nice New York boy like you doing in Massachusetts? <laughs> Tell us. Well, I, I think, I think uh, most people that know me, I don't think they were totally shocked, but I don't think they would totally believe that I would leave the city. I think they thought I was just talking. And, uh, but, you know, you very rarely get the opportunity to reinvent yourself so drastically. Um, and... Uh, when the the farm that uh, I bought was from uh, my father-in-law, my you know my in-laws owned this farm for 39 years, and uh, you know when they talked about possibly the opportunity for us to get it, um, we we jumped at it. I mean, we said to ourselves, "Yes, we have a great life in New York. I had a good job. I had a nice house, and uh, you know, but I had to chuckle all that because you can't live and work." in New York City and be a farmer in Massachusetts. So it was, it was a bold move, but I got to re- totally reinvent and start over. And I, chained, chained, uh, I traded my 49 by 100 square foot lot on Staten Island for 43 acres. So, and uh, I, don't, I don't regret that. And how much hops are you growing right now and what kinds? Well, um, 
I'm uh, I'm kicking it old school on what I can get, which is which is basically Cascade. What I know is going to grow well on the East Coast. Obviously, the East Coast isn't a huge hop growing uh, part of the country, but you can grow Cascades. Um, you can grow Centennials, you can grow Nuggets, and I know that I could do that because I've been testing them on Staten Island and in Massachusetts uh, for the for the last number of years before I went up there. I didn't go totally blind. I definitely did some research before I went up there and did this. But um, the first thing that we did when we moved up there is is to establish the hop yard. And like I said, I have 40-something acres, so uh, one good thing about that is I have uh, mostly hardwoods on the property. So... I sourced all my own poles, so I saved myself a fortune by doing that. I cut them all down myself. I dragged them all up out of the woods by myself with a with my tractor and uh, and, and your spring- wife. And, well, no, you know my <laughs> wife helped definitely, but the the cutting of the trees was mainly me. Um, but she certainly, I mean, I'm not going to discount her, her efforts. She's worked just as hard as I have, not more. And she's actually watching children to boot. Um, but we were able to source all that, so that was a that was hugely attractive to me, and it was able I was able to keep costs down right from the beginning. So in the spring thaw, I, I, I recruited some friends to help me dig the holes. Um, we tilled the land the year before, and uh, we just dove in. Um, uh, the first year, I got you know some poundage enough to do my homebrew batches and make some stuff. But this second year has been really good. I got close to. Uh, Close to 100 pounds wow. of dried hops, um, and um, I did also a wet hop beer with Riverwalk Brewing up there. That's what I want. That's one reason you came on the show. So yeah. you, you've you've grown enough hops that you're able to sell them to a brewery. I have, yeah. They uh, they were the first commercial brewery to take my hops. Um, they're a local, and obviously. The whole thing that I'm doing up there is keeping it local, and we want to provide. I mean, sure, I'll sell hops. Where, where are you in Massachusetts? What's I'm that? in Merrimack, which is uh, which is right on the Mass New Hampshire border, right next to your hometown, Jimmy. Oh yeah, Haverhill, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mass. That's right. And where's Riverwalk Brewing? Riverwalk's in Newburyport. Um, they originally, hence the name uh, Riverwalk, was Amesbury, but he moved over to Newburyport, and they have a they have a seven barrel brew house, and uh, you know they were interested in doing a wet hop beer, and um, so we were able to pick them within within three hours of picking them. They were in the kettle um, making beer. So just a quick question about hop growing because this is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many acres or quarter acres or whatever do you have of hops? or and, and Do you reach a limit that you can grow on your own and harvest and everything? Yeah, yeah, all good questions. We, we started, uh, obviously, we, we, we plan to expand further, but we started just under um, just under a half acre. Um, and the reason it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you get into the nuts and bolts of, of actually farming that stuff every day, it's it's a lot of work. So we sort of backed off on going further than that at this point because we want to make sure that our product is quality and that we're able to because you know hop growing is just the the first part of it. Then there's drying, there's packaging, and there's storage and selling, and all those things have to be perfect in order for you to have a, a product that people are going to want to pay for. Not, you know, brewers are choosy, and the quality has to be high. It's as simple as that. And, and on top of it, because I'm a small hop yard, I'm going to be charging more than, you know, Hop, Direct, you know, hop Union or Hop Direct or these the big hop houses that are going to, for brewers, they pay a lot less than what it's going to cost me to actually make it. So you're going to be paying a little bit more of a premium for my hops. So they have to be quality. That's sort of the... The whole thing. That's why we sort of started at that. Let's point. take a step back. So you, you're, you've been a big part of the beer scene. You know, a lot of good buddies. So, so Jay is your friend from Staten Island. Who's he is been brewing in Alaska now, and it's probably your second or third time on the show, Jay. Uh, second time, actually, Jimmy. Um, yeah, I'm at 49th State Brewing Company, right outside of Denali National Park in Alaska. Uh, we're a seasonal brewery. We're open for brew pubs open for about eight, almost eight months out of the season, and then we uh, we close down for a couple months and. Uh, Get to do some traveling, get to do some research, get to do some. And we, uh, we did have, we out. had a great show with you. Maybe it was two or three years ago. But on going back to, to Mark, so you've been to Mark's farm. I have. I actually just came from Mark's farm. My wife and I went up there for a couple days uh, this past weekend and uh, hung out. It was the second time I was able to go up there, and it was really, it's really just a beautiful place to be able to. I just got back from Alaska two weeks ago, and um, Mark and I have been talking about getting together. He's actually been up to uh, 49th a couple times um, to brew for a couple clips. Uh, 2012, he came up, I think, for about three weeks, 
And uh, last year, 2013, I was kind of in a pinch with some help, and he came up for about a month and uh, helped me out in the brewery. So, yeah, he was in there on the brew house helping out. And we've, um, yeah, we've been just kind of long time yeah, beer guys. But on that note, so when you go to Massachusetts and you, and you see him growing mm-hmm. hops, like as a brewer, you know, what do you see in that? Does it inspire you? Do you know, yeah, it does. advice for other people about growing hops? You know, I have a lot of this. Mark and I have a lot of similar aspirations when it comes to um, types of beers and actually brew, growing your own ingredients. And obviously, being in Alaska doesn't really afford being able to grow your own hops um, because of the light and the growing season. Um, but it, it is inspiring to see somebody growing and using those hops. And, and Mark's 100% correct. You know, brewers, all brewers have access to the best ingredients in the world, basically. So he really has to make sure his product is really kind of pristine. So, you know, we've done a lot of talking about how he can improve that with the drying process, building an host house. And uh, I'd love to be a part of that and kind of help him along doing that. It's really it's great to see and, and be a part of that process, you know, kind of from from start to finish. Corey, what do you think of all this? So, first of all, what beer did we try, Mark? Um, one of your home brews? The first, the first beer I poured was barley wine made with last year's crops. It's 100% uh, hops that I grew on the farm um, from last year's batch. Um, I think that was the first thing that I poured out. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's, and it's about a year and a half old. It's, you know, it's got a, a, pretty, a pretty hefty grain bill, but there's a lot of hops in, in that little amount of beer that I made. So. It's nice. It doesn't taste like a barley wine. What do you think of that, Corey? I thought it was pretty well balanced. I mean, a lot, I feel like a lot of the American barley wines can uh, lose sight of the roots of the style, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, certain English styles that aren't up to par can be a little flat and a little dead, which can be said for most English styles uh, that aren't up to snuff, of course. And uh, the Americans can uh, just be a little too uh, over the top, heavy handed, uh, too heavily hopped and yeah. completely losing sight of the style by bombing it with American hops and then calling it a barley one, which would be a misnomer entirely. Well, I, I think the, the the alcohol levels too. I think people clobber mm-hmm. it too much. You know, you want if you see barley wine, you figure, oh, it's, it's got to be ten, eleven, twelve, fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. My barley wines are nine percent. Really? So they're, they're really? and there's like some of the old old English, the old ale styles. Too, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Can be eight percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's got all American hops in it. Obviously, it's got all you know nuggets and cascades and centennial and and it was dry hopped two two times at least. So, so Corey, what are you doing now? You, you, you're like the guy, the GM and beer buyer for like all these great places. You're like picking the best beer list in New York. Yeah, man, thanks, man. I, I got a lot on my plate now, you know. Um, Proletariat, we've been open for two and a half years on St. Mark's Place over in the East Village. Um, and it's been great. It's You know, I've really been able to... Um, you know, I was there last night. Oh, were you really? Jimmy's number 43 and uh, have a lot of the same <laughs> beers on tap. Yeah, of course is, we do. We had, I had the Carton Red Rye returning last night. Great beer. And I had it at Jimmy's too. Yeah, nice the to see them. Same beer, the same night, in two different bars. Uh huh. Which one tasted better? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's great to be able to. Um, you know, back in the days when I worked for you, not that long ago, even. I think the conversation wasn't as uh, forward as it is now in terms of people just walking into the bar and being super curious about things they might not have had, things they've never heard of, um, and they're receptive to not necessarily wanting a learning experience, but at least drinking something different and fun and cool. And it's been really nice to be able to um, have been afforded that opportunity to expand people's palates. Yeah. Well, talking about Beer Street, because I just heard about it last month. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Beer Uh, Street in Brooklyn. Beer Street on Graham Avenue, sure, in Williamsburg, uh, which is great. The old Italian stronghold, which I'm I'm happy about, and I know you understand. Um, (laughs) Was a bottle shop for a couple of years, uh, doing well, definitely supplying the neighborhood. Um, and you know the the three of us uh, that are partners there now are all uh, uh, have been living in the neighborhood long enough and are, are very very happy to be even further rooted in the neighborhood because it's really great over there. It's really really great. And uh, you know up the road a little bit you have toasts who are great and um, uh, a little further uh, a little further down you have Barcade and Spite and Dival and all these wonderful places we've been going to for so many years. But there's nothing really um, catering to that little neighborhood there, and we are a Small neighborhood beer bar, 10 lines, constantly turning over, 20, 25 bottles, you know. Um, and it's just been really fun, and the reception so far has been great. And we actually have our grand opening this weekend as well, which I'm excited about. Um, Saturday and Sunday, 22nd and 23rd, um, some crazy, crazy kegs going on. Uh, and uh, on Sunday, doing a bunch of uh, gnarly uh, bottles by the glass, which should be great. So really looking forward to it. 
Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this, this show around. So Amy Zavato, we know, we know you as a drinks editor and a spirits writer. She said that Mark was the one that made you like beer. Mm-hmm. So what, what did he, how did he make you like beer? Um, he, bought this, he brought over this really beautiful, aromatic, it was a lavender honey saison, I think. Uh, Am I crazy? No, no, it might have been, it might have been the Braggot. It might have been the, the honey no. jasmine Braggot. Mm, yes, sorry. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. It was it was a honey jasmine braggot, and it was amazing. And it just the aromatics were the thing that really just sort of drew me into it. And then I just didn't know beer could be like that. And it was really balanced, and it was really fresh, and it was really exciting. You know, it was not boring and so not I, something. I want to ask Corey. So Corey, you know, in, in your places, if you have someone like Amy, who's kind of like a wine person, a spirits person, sure. How, what beers would you would you turn them on to? That's a great question. To make them like beer, uh, I love I love being approached with a question like that um, because people will come in and say something to the effect of, you know, uh, I want something light. Uh, which we all know really means nothing. Um, you know, it would be easy enough to say here is whatever lager, pilsner, etc. Um, but it's also really great to be able to say, well, you know, with the pretense that I'm going to give you a glass of beer, I want to know what else you like. And so in using that, someone might have a better idea of what kind of wines they drink. You know, I might also be met with red which takes a little bit more work, <laughs> but I'm happy to do it. So if somebody says, well, I like Malbec, and I'm like, great. So now I know kind of what you're into. Let's do role-playing with Amy. So, you know? so ask Amy what she likes. So Amy, what, what you ask her, Corey. So, Pretend she's your yeah. new customer. <laughs> hey, Corey, I'm interested in having some beer. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, you know, uh, knowing that I'm going to give you mm-hmm. a beer that mm-hmm. you're, of course, going to love, mm-hmm. um, I would love to know what else you drink so I can kind of gauge your palate. I was just drinking and really digging on this beautiful northern Italian red called Lacrima de Mora de Alba, mm-hmm. and it smells like flowers, and it's, in, it's, a, it's got grip, and it's got personality, but it's medium-bodied to almost a little light, and there's a lot going on, but it kind of goes with a lot of things, and it's just, I'm kind of a sucker for aromatics. See, hold on a second right now, because there's no way anybody... <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be realistic for a second. If somebody sat down at my bar and responded to me that way, I would say, who the hell are you? And what do you do? Because we should be friends. Um, but, you know, it's that sort of, or even, I mean, if somebody was to give me 50% of that response, it would still be so easy for me to just think of whatever out of the 12, you know, 12 drafts is not hard to keep up with, to pick something that's going to be suited to that person's palate, you know what I mean? And blow the whole, I want something light, uh, BS out of the water. You know, which is really great. So going back to having the opportunity to be able to do that now and almost kind of, you know, when I worked at the Cannibal, I was sort of a beer sommelier, which was really great. And um, I do that now, just a little less, uh, Yeah, you know, it's a little... It's a so little, her Lacrima little Christie, what, yeah. what beer would you recommend? Oh, I don't know. Then, I, need to, I need to be in the moment. I need to be in the zone <laughs> and see what we got on tap. But, you know, Mark, always, what would you recommend? Well, I, I, I always steer... I love to hear when women say that they don't like beer. It's one of my favorite things to hear in the world. Because I'm like, no, you just haven't had the right beer. Absolutely. It's, it's all about finding the right beer. But I've, I, I always think that women... Generally, if you hand them a hot bomb... I think bomb, that's how women flirt with guys. <laughs> maybe. That's what it is. I think I'm flirting that, like, with all of you right pe- now. <laughs> people, You're uh, a favorite woman in the room, Amy. <laughs> I'm the only woman in the room. <laughs> you, can't, you can't just hot bomb a woman. I mean, she wants, something, she wants a little bit of finesse, right? So you hand her a, you hand her a, a really delicate Belgian beer... And there's going to be there's a little bit of sweetness, there's a little bit of depth. Well, I don't, I wouldn't want to go into that territory. Like women like sweet. Well, all right, no, no, no. I would prefer to Cut listen this. to what she told me. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. What I mean by that is that women. I, you guys know each other too. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to general, if you're going to generalize, I'm saying that. Belgian beers are mm-hmm. sort of more attractive to a woman's palate. Oh, I, don't like, a, I don't more, like. I don't like. No, Mark, Mark, how about to a wine drinker? Maybe that's what she wants. Well, to do. I can't speak to the wine part. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I can only speak to the beer part. <laughs> well, Josh, here you just opened the well. We're going to talk talk to you more also in the show. What would you recommend to a wine drinker like Amy, who was talking about Lacrima Christie as a wine she enjoyed, and aromatics? Is there a type of beer that you would this recommend? Feels like the dating a game. type of beer. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. You guys, I tell you what, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. So you like good beer. 
Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit GreatBrewers.com today. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Roger Roberta's in Bushwick. Last week I said Bushwick's in Roberta, but uh, that was pretty funny. Um, yes, that was the day I had all the strong beers, the foreign export style from Gone Hill and everything. But this is a great, great show. We've got uh, Amy Zavato, contributing editor from Imbibe Magazine, Corey Bonfilio from Proletariat and Beer Street, and some other great guys, including Mark Zappazota, who's uh, our, our boy. He was, went from, instead of farm to table, he went from city to uh, the farm. And, we, and we've been talking about some things. But, Corey, what was that beer you just poured me? I've never had it before. I just opened up the Logsden Sezun Breda, which is wonderful, wonderful. This is a beer that everybody had been, uh, you know, anytime anybody could get their hands on it, they would bring it, and we would all crowd around it with 12 tiny glasses of it. Uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful, true American farmhouse beer. Um, they have a Sezun, which is their regular Sezun. Uh, where, where is this beer from? They're in Oregon. They're in Oregon. And and something, do you carry this at Beer Street or Proletariat? I have it at both. I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't uh, miss the opportunity. Um, and so it was really great. When we got it in initially at Proletariat, I tweeted it and just said in big capital letters, this is no longer contraband, which is great. <laughs> so it feels good to be able to buy and sell and really enjoy this beer freely now. Uh, just a beautiful it's, it's excellent. Brett re-fermented uh, Oak Age Saison. Um, but this is a brewery that has true, true house character. So, you know, when you drink a DuPont beer or a Schneider beer, you know from the nose. Immediately, so the same is to be said for Logsdon. I think really great stuff. How do you, how do you spell that? L O G S D O N. It's nice. Logsdon. It's really good. Very good. Yeah, so, Jimmy, one thing. The, so the founder, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, was uh, one of the original um, starters of Y East Labs, which is one of the big providers of right. uh, yeah. brewers yeast to brewers across the nation. So um, when he started this brewery, he really, um, from my understanding, his his knowledge of kind of fermentation is really kind of what pushed this into this really kind of amazing realm of different using different strains and and um, all that knowledge going into beer. It's amazing somebody who's had so much history in fermentation science what they can do when they're actually putting it actually into beer and not just you know producing you know and packaging yeast so of course really i'm having a, have a little top off on that one of course the logsdens <laughs> this is this is what's fun about doing this show is i got to try a lot of new beers that i don't uh, wouldn't usually and then yeah. all of a sudden they're on the beer list at jimmy's i'm gonna have this all the time. <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> oh guess what Corey? you just went over amy this is a beer sheet what did you just say amy i want to have this all the time there you so, go <laughs> the one thing i will say about wine drinkers is that they are looking for a higher quality beer, and, and we've seen this with like things like you know cider week and also sour beers. They say that someone that, that likes beer might look for a certain kind of craft beer, but I think people that started from wine are interested in things like this, more interesting yeasts, you know, sour beers. What do you think about that, Corey? I could see a lot of that. I drink beer with a lot of wine people um, because it's a different experience. You drink beer with beer people, and you all say the same thing at each other because you all have the same vocabulary or a similar vocabulary. But when you're dealing with wine people, I think they see things differently than you do maybe as a beer person. So I understand you have a background in beer, Jimmy. I'm sorry, wine. Uh, but it's really great that they're throwing things out there and digging a little bit deeper, and I've kind of appropriated some of that style into how I sell. Well, well you know, funny enough, when uh, speaking of, uh, of Amy and her beer experience, she, uh, we had uh, that beer festival on Staten Island um, a couple of years back at the at the at the baseball park, and uh, you know I was I was in charge of the home brewing competition, and uh, you know Jay was one of the first guys who reached out to me that said he wanted to be a, you know part of it and be a beer judge. So of course I you know I had him down, and and Amy was on the top of my list. She was who I asked before anybody, and she was like, what you know? She was like, Mark, but I don't know anything about beer styles. I was like, I don't care what you know about styles. I trust your palate. You're gonna you're gonna be able to taste the things that are important. It doesn't matter what style is. We can explain that to you later. It's about your palate. 
and she I think she did gangbusters. No, she's she's a great taster. We're very lucky to have you on tonight. Let's get let's get Josh. So we got this. Well, I was just going to say I, I I think that really the difference between wine peer, people and beer people a lot of times is that they have the vocabulary that a lot of beer people don't have. You know, when you start to drink wine and you get into that you know field, you you really are taught the vocabulary almost yeah. you know immediately. Let's talk about you. Tell us your project. So Corey's your buddy. You just opened a place. Tell us what it is and some of the struggles you had to go through. Yeah, so I just opened up the well. Uh, we're sort of on the edge of Bushwick and Williamsburg, and um, it's a, a beer bar, beer garden. Uh, we've got 60 lines on tap, about 100 in bottles, and it's actually housed in an old brewery. Uh, it's the old Hittleman Brewery, built in 1875, and uh, bringing that kind of an old building up to code for 2008 is... Uh, it's been a long struggle. You know, we, it took us about three years to get up to you know all the permits and codes and licenses that we had to do, and just finally opened it on Friday. Yeah, nice one, Corey. <laughs> Perfect timing. But but the big story is that I, I my general impression was this is like some big club that opened up, but you really actually care about beer. I love beer. I mean, I I remember you know I was telling you before uh, in college we started you know trying to do home brews in our closets basically and. Did a horrible, horrible job, um, and ever since then, I've you know had an interest in the process and the science behind it, and I traveled to Belgium not long after that, and loved going into a bar and just a regular hole in the wall bar, and they hand you this booklet, you know, unlike here where you usually get like five or six beers, there you have a whole book of you know hundreds of beers every place you go, and I always wanted to have a place like that here where people could come in and I could hand them a book of all kinds of different styles, and no matter what they really enjoyed, there'd be something there for everyone. So, so Corey helped you pick some of the beers? Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. he, he you know, we worked together on some of the things, but he largely was responsible for a lot of the you know, the, the finer details of the, of the list. Yeah, for sure. Happy to do it. Uh, I don't, I don't uh, need any more work, necessarily, <laughs> in, in terms of how busy I've been. But uh, yeah, next five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's been super, super fun, and, and being handed a sort of... Um, you know, generally, I, I kind of just have the say, but it's really fun to be handed a sort of framework and and being asked to fill in the blanks, which is a a, a, a new and fun challenge. Is this kind of place you'd go to the well? Because you you just opened, so everybody, let's yeah. toast Josh. Thank you. you yeah, cheers. Opened, uh, cheers. Four days ago, I, I'm, so, I'm wow. impressed that uh, it, it was an old brewery, a brewery in Brooklyn. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the last original, really right? Cool. The last original structure on the on what was the real Brewers Row. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, especially you know intact. The building has still got these really amazing features. The loggering tunnels are still down, you know, down below. And they're so scary. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, what, like what street the, was Brewers Row, Corey? That uh, was Meserol originally, right, I Josh? Mean, it, it went in sort of like a seven-block radius around okay. it. Yeah, I mean, I've got the old maps that show all the different breweries around it, and it was really cool to see how many of them there were in such a tight little radius at that time. And, of course, now, you know, Brewers Row being uh, North 11th Street with Brooklyn Brewery on it, if, uh, by all means, you know, absolutely. But. Well, they've got some history there, too. I mean, their first warehouse was actually in our building. You know, back in the 80s, uh, I don't know if you've read his book or not, but you can see, you know, them in the in the forefront with the building in the background and a couple burned-out cars and uh, some tires, you know, piled up on, on the sidewalk. Uh, it was a, it was a rough neighborhood back then. I just want to say welcome to the show, man. It's it's a nice addition. And Cheers. Let's, let's go back to what we're talking about. We're talking about farming and, and growing hops. And, and Jay, you know, up, up in Alaska... You know, you're doing a seasonal brewery, which is pretty amazing. But looking forward, like, you know, what do you think it, the potential? We, we've met guys like Rock, is it Rock Mill from Ohio? And uh, there's other guys who are doing more of like a real farm brewery. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think there's a lot of potential there? No, absolutely. I, I really, I love the concept of, because it kind of applies to us as well, as having a destination brewery. You know, having a place where people go there, they can enjoy the beers where it's brewed. They, they have the, You have this kind of really peaceful environment, but you're also seeing where the ingredients are coming from. It, it, to me, it, 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 it harkens back. I've spent a good amount of time in Belgium just, like, traveling to some smaller places that are doing the same thing. And, and seeing, you know, seeing what Mark is doing really reminds me of some of these smaller places like Hoftender Mall, um, places that are just, like, you know, growing all their own ingredients, having them going into the beers. The beers, you know, maybe not, I don't want to say simple, but, you know, you're, you're, you're taking it back a step. You know, you're bringing it back, which where a lot of, like, the food culture and all this stuff is kind of going back to the, the roots of where it's coming from. That, to me, is really interesting. 
inspiring and really. So makes let's talk about that. So I, I know like Gesture King in Austin, mm-hmm. Texas is kind of like that. What are some other like? For, you know, you can m- mention breweries in Belgium, but mm-hmm. what are some other places like um, that? Well, in Logsdon Farmhouse also, um, I remember seeing something a couple years ago where he was bringing in uh, Charsbeek cherry trees, and he had some issues bringing them in because they're, they're native to Belgium, and uh, having issues with customs bringing them in, but actually bringing them in so eventually he could use those Charsbeek cherries, which are um, traditionally used in Lambic Brewing, in his the beers that are being produced at Logsdon. Um, go ahead. They're, they're awfully scarce in Belgium as well, aren't they? Because yeah, those beers don't show up anymore from Hensons and from uh, Kensian and some of the other producers that were making Sherbrooke's uh, uh, cherry lambics. Um, that, that would Hansen's be amazing. The, Cor- Hansons has the Scarabecca. Is that's that the same? The same. Yeah, that's, that's same just thing. another word for it. Uh, Hansons we, we and have, uh, Drie Fontenay as well. Yeah. We have that at Jimmy's number 43. <laughs> Hansons Scarabecca. <laughs> Wait, right now, half probably, a, probably a 2006 vintage that you forgot about, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's a good point. Actually, going like talking to a lot of these Lambic brewers, a lot of their cherries now are sourced from uh, Poland, Poland and kind of Eastern Europe, where um, they're more prevalent, but they're not the Charsbeek cherries because they've just kind of fallen out or they've had issues with growing them. So, yeah, Why it's really kind of rare. state cherry, or it's just... Um, New Glarus does their uses a lot of like yeah. New Glarus stuff. is a great New Glarus is a great uh, example of another brewery that's doing a lot of um, sour similar beers using like local uh, tart raspberries and cherries and things like that. So how did the trees like? How did they grow when he brought them over? Did they do well? Uh, you know what? I haven't. I haven't. Re- it was something that I read. You know, maybe two years ago. So I'm not sure. Um, but knowing uh, just from the quality of the beers and stuff, I'm sure that they've figured out a way to make it work. And and the environment out there, I'm sure, is kind of similar to where you can grow certain. There's a lot of agriculture. So, Mark, are you going to also grow fruits and other things? <clears throat> well, yeah. I mean, uh, I've been on my farm for just over two years now. In two years' time, I put up this half acre hop yard. Um, I've been doing cordwood, um, and I um, bought the farm, literally. So um, in the short period of time that I've been there, uh, I, I've accomplished a lot, and we have plans to put in uh, – it used to be an apple farm uh, 100 years ago. My, my farm was not even 100 years ago. It was, it was an apple orchard. That was its biggest cash crop. We, we, right before we moved in, we, we removed the old uh, apple orchard because it was very diseased and falling into the ground, and we sort of wanted to move it to a, a different spot. So we removed it, kept two trees still just for uh, – Nostalgia, say, because my wife just couldn't bear to part with them all. She climbed them when she was a kid, and um, and we're going to replant an apple orchard. But that's a whole other, you know, uh, that's all the but whole you did, bag. You of just bones. earlier served us uh, uh, one of your ciders. Yes, I did. Tell us about that. Well, the ciders that uh, that I've been making have been coming. I've been sourcing my apples from. I, ha- I do have a couple of trees on my farm, and I source a little bit from. But most of them come from uh, our friend's farm in Stillwater, Mass, uh, which is. Um, she has a she has a, a very uh, a very old apple orchard and she lets us go and just take drops for nothing which is awesome and so what we do is we provide a little service for our community and we do an apple pressing every year not for anything other than to you know make some hard bottles of hard cider for the adults you know press the regular stuff for the kids and you know I, I like to um, I'll crush some and put it in a in a five gallon container and 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 force carbonate it so it's like apple soda for the kids you know so they help crush apples it's a community thing but it's since then a friend of mine took over an apple orchard not far from me so he's just showing up at my door with tons of apples every day so we just were on a a crushing tear. You have like some an old old crusher. Or I do, I do. Press. Actually, when Apple we press, right? when we moved when we moved onto the farm, I knew nothing of cider. I'm a brewer, and I my experience with cider hasn't always been great. Um, and uh, when I moved up there, you know, I moved to Apple Country. It's 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 Massachusetts. I mean, it's where all the apples come from in this area, and. Uh, in my tool house, underneath some covers, was an old apple press. And I was like, when I uncovered it, I said, oh, my God. Because as soon as I saw it, I knew that I'm going to be spending a lot of time crushing apples. So, Jay, was up, your cider tastes like beer. Well, what do you, thank you. What do you think of his cider, Jay? Well, it tastes I, like beer to me. I, I think the unique thing about Mark's ciders is he's using beer yeast 
to ferment them. And uh, cider, you know, apple cider is it's all simple sugar, so it's all going to ferment out to nothing, basically, without any residual as long, if you're not stopping the fermentation. But you're going to get different um, compounds, different flavors are going to be produced by using these different yeasts. So uh, Mark's house strain is the Saison strain, which he does some fantastic beers with. And uh, that strain really has some nice fruitiness and some a little bit of pepperiness, and there's a lot of different things. And using those beer strains, I think you get a, a, some different characteristics that really stand out. Jay, when you came down from Merrimack, Massachusetts, you stopped off in uh, Connecticut. What beer, what beer are we drinking now? Yeah, so um, this is the Phil Sambic, so uh, Two Roads Brewery. So actually, I hadn't had never heard of it, but um, they're marketing... Um, one of the people from marketing, she came up to the 49th state. She actually came through the brewery, and, and uh, I ended up talking to her, and we had a couple beers, and she was like, oh, yeah, come and check it out. So on our way to Massachusetts, uh, my wife and I decided, oh, yeah, it was on the way. We stopped, and really amazing facility. It's only two years old. Uh, beautiful, beautiful Rolex brew house. Um, really set up to, to produce some really great beers. And um, we got to talking to uh, the bartender, and he had mentioned this beer that was, was um, kind of aged with balsamic vinegar, which was something that I find interesting because balsamic vinegar, you have acetic acid, which is um, kind of similar to like Flanders Red or Flanders Brown um, ales. And I really became intrigued with it. But of course, the bartender was like, oh, I think we don't have any more bottles. It sold out in a day. So what, um, what do they do? At what point do they add the balsamic um, I, I'm assuming they add it during the aging process in the barrel. So it's aged in red wine barrels, it looks like, according to the barrel. And I guess during that process, they're adding some balsamic vinegar to that. So it really adds a really neat characteristic because, again, that acetic acid comes through. So they're really kind of uh, – you get that vinegary, which is, again, traditional and certain like Flanders Red. So it's not – it's not kind of uh, you. You see it in other beers, but it's really interesting. There's almost a little bit of sweetness to it that's kind of really neat. It's really an interesting you beer. Get that wine barrel on the nose. Absolutely, that's yeah, no, it's, it's it, real nice. It's, well, it's funny you mentioned the brew, and it, I, it reminds me of a classic old brew. Mm-hmm. It's really. I was trying to write him a note when you were all talking. I was like, wine barrel? Like, yeah. I feel like I was in eighth grade. <laughs> I know you like wine, but, uh, Corey. So this this last beer. So uh, Josh, you brought in this. Uh, Italian beer, and you saying that Corey helped introduce you to a lot of the new, more esoteric beers. And this is one of the breweries that he introduced me to, uh, Ducato, uh, Del Ducato. Uh, he, I think the first one he gave me was the Verity. Uh, Probably. Josh is a big uh, black beer guy, mm-hmm. stouts and brown like and porters. Stuff, yeah. so. And he, he introduced me to the Imperial Stout, which was just fantastic and he did it because i told him i don't like italian beer uh, <laughs> and I, that is not true yeah i just didn't know that i liked italian beer don't, don't the, this is the same brewery that makes the stout with chilies that's what we were referring to yeah the verdi yeah, yeah, which is gorgeous i mean uh, you know they uh, use a lot of strange adjuncts herbal and spices and etc uh in uh, many of their beers but they're all extremely tactfully applied yeah. which is what is uh, like appealing to me coriander is that yeah, this one is uh, ginger, chamomile, uh, um, uh, coriander, and green pepper. And I mean, this is it's called Nuova Mattina, which means new morning. And it's a sort of, you know, you could say farmhouse, I suppose. But it's funny because I, I, you named everything but thyme. And that's all I taste is thyme in this. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's wildly herbaceous. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Who knows how Italian people, when they speak English, pronounce thyme? Thyme. No. Thyme. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's crazy. On that note. <laughs> well, because there was, okay, here's the backstory on Italian beer. So this goes back to Del Borgo and Ducat. So mm-hmm. Brooks, uh, he was an uh, American dude, grew up in Arkansas. When he was eight years old, his family moved to Rome. And he ended up working for the Del Borgo dudes. So when they when they came and helped open the, the Birreria Brewery above Italy in New York City, he became the brewer for a while. And All we had him on the show. He's great. And he kept telling me that he had this uh, secret ingredient was called thyme. And I was like, what's thyme? <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, what's amazing about Mark, and I'll tell you this, we're building you up as a beer hero of the day because well, you, you have an amazing palate and you picked up on the thyme or the thyme that no one else did. I only picked up on the coriander. Well, you know, or, maybe, awesome. or maybe I'm completely wrong. <laughs> That's a fun part of our job, isn't it? It's all yeah. subjective. Let's make a toast Research. to the thyme in everyone's beer. <laughs> to thyme. Right. Cheers. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is like my pre-Thanksgiving party. Our, our good buddy Purvey Shalwani, he's like a, a writer, and he had a party the other night called Friendsgiving. But this kind of like feels our friend's Thanksgiving. We got Mark back from uh, Massachusetts and Corey Bonfini haven't seen in a while. And Jay is his annual trip back from Alaska. Who wants to spend winter in Alaska, Jay? I mean, gosh. Lots of very hard, hearty, wonderful people <laughs> that are there. But um, 49th Street Point. My, my friend, Gri- my friend Grizzly yeah. is, is the guy who stays there all year long. But we got all these. Anyway, it's a great show. And Amy Zavato again from Imbibe. Thanks for coming on. Um, so we got these great people in the room. Jay, I mean, for me, Jay from, uh, you know, it's 49th State Brewing. I want to call it 49th Street Brewing. So You're not the only one Billy in Billy Joel song. <laughs> but you have a question. I know you have a lot of questions. You write some great articles. What's a good question for him? Well, um, we were talking in the car on the way over about how you just did a huge expansion at, at 49th State. And you said something really moving to me about how, you know, you have 125 lines and you get to know how, you know, how those are doing and they're clean and everything's fine and you can control it all. So now that you guys are expanding, um, how are you going to manage that? Um, that's a great question. That's one of my biggest fears as a brewer. Um, you know, as we, we've grown, we all of our beer is served in our own location. So being the one that's responsible for cleaning lines and making sure everything's balanced and doing all that. And uh, at the end of the season, just now in the last couple of months, we've, we've sent some kegs out to Anchorage and Fairbanks, the two bigger markets in the state. And uh, kind of as a kind of as an experiment, kind of as a thank you to the people that travel 250 miles to come and see us. You know, it's kind of like, here's something for you guys for the winter. Thanks for appreciating our beers. You know, we'll see you again in the spring type thing. But yeah, it's, it's scary as a brewer to me, you know, sending beers to different locations. And you guys as bar owners, you know, that's my question to you guys. is like, what do you do to ensure that your that beer is still at the highest quality? Corey? Uh, focus on local for particular styles uh, always. Uh, and it's impossible not to. Now, you're a fool to not reach out to some of these incredible local breweries like Other Half and, of course, Barrier, who have been around for a little while now. Um, who are making just gorgeous um, hop-driven beer. So at both bars, the majority of their pale ales, IPAs, etc., and whatever else they've got coming down the pipe will be sourced locally for sure. And it wasn't always that way either. I mean, like... It really mm-hmm. was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you couldn't really do that at all. And uh, it's so nice to be able to do that. Five now. years ago, yeah, it was I hard. Think, yeah. you know. But there's still basics. There's, like, like clean lines. Sure. You know, keeping a temperature control. So from, you know, warehouse to truck to your to your bar, it's got to be a temperature control, which means, like, a cooler. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of places. that but I think that the serious bar places, like Good Brazil bars and stuff, are all doing that. I mean, I think we really care about our beer yeah of course and it shows you know what i mean people are and as a you know i was touching upon earlier uh the vocabulary of the 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 kind of how do you say i don't mean to say average consumer but you know the, the non-industry consumer uh, as that expands um uh, that will prove to be sink or swim for the bars that bars and breweries frankly that aren't cutting it you know yeah and, and, and we like good beer that's the whole thing like so the places that really care about it we're not really going that far out of our way. It's just part of our normal practices that we're going to have our lines clean. We, we have proper refrigeration, you know. And, and I think this has become a lot more standard now too. Is the you know the beer drinking industry has become a lot bigger. The, the craft industry has become bigger. People's vocabulary has become bigger, and their expectations have become for sure. You know, so, Josh, bigger. now you're sitting here. You're, you're a new, new new business owner. You got mm-hmm. the well in uh, Bushwick. Um, do you have a question for Mark? I do. I mean, we're sitting here with a bag of his hops that he grew on his farm. Uh, and I'm not a cider guy either, mm-hmm. but the cider that you had us taste here earlier was really nice. I'm, I'm just wondering, as a non-cider drinker, have have you ever thought about hopping a cider? Is that something that's done at all? Is that well? <clears throat> I'm glad you asked that question because you know the immediate response is that why aren't you hopping ciders? And my immediate response back is that I haven't had one yet that I thought was any good. I think that <laughs> I think that I think that. Ciders in general, um, you know, they have a certain character that I don't personally, I don't feel plays really well with hops. I think that there's aromatics with apples and flavors with apples that don't need hops. So I'm sort of a purist when it comes to this. I'm not, you know, like I'm sure I'd probably, if somebody could contact me, they'd give me hate mail over this. But uh, the fact of the matter is, I just haven't had one yet. And I'm sort, I'm certainly in a position to, to make that. To make that commitment at some point, I just haven't done it yet. All right. 
If I may, uh, there have been a few I've had, and, and many have missed the mark, and I won't name names because of uh, existing relationships, but uh, one that I would absolutely suggest you seek out uh, while you're around, uh, which oughtn't be very hard right now, is the Millstone. They're in okay. Moncton, Maryland. They've got the Hop Vine. Okay. And it is, it's, you know, as I was referring to um, some of the Italian beers with their uh, extraneous kind of spices and whatnot that don't belong in the beer or right. don't necessarily work most of the time, they're extremely tactfully applied, and, and I really appreciated that. And so it just kind of interweaves with an already complex, barrel-aged, and blended um, apple character, you know, being fermented with right. indigenous yeasts and all this, and so really beautiful stuff. Awesome. Right. Corey, someone just poured like a coffee type stout. Oh yeah, that's the uh, the Prairie Christmas Bomb. Um, it's been it's great. So it's good. been great. Yeah, really good uh, out of Oklahoma. It's been great to have these guys in the market. They've been like a hot ticket item for a little while. Yeah, I got a little more. Here you go. So this is something you have at Beer Street and Proletariat. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. Are they uh, are they also a fa- are they also a farm brewery? No, uh, you know I don't I don't know actually I don't believe so. If they are, they do not play it up to be, right. and they don't really do the farmhouse thing so much. They've had a couple of saisons uh, that I've encountered. Some were really great, some were not good at all. So it was kind of perplexing in that sense. But their stronger, darker beers have been fantastic. Their hoppier beers, some of them were weird, like a rye Brett. Right. Like a lot of Brett Brooks, so like young kind of fruity Brett. Those beers have been really cool and really interesting. So, well, it's excellent. But I just you know the, the whole the whole thing with the farm and brewery movement. There are just there are just not a lot um, in this country of farms, actual farms that are breweries. I mean, we just went up the Smutty Nose Jay and I this past mm. weekend, and it was just it's like it's like entering a cathedral mm-hmm. of beer. It's just it's it's spectacular. And it's in a farm. It's on an old farm, but it's not a farm brewery. They don't produce. I mean, I, I know they have plans to do things in the future, but I'm saying that there are very few breweries that are farms in this country, and I'm looking to change that. You're definitely growing hops. Will you be growing some type of grains as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, we we certainly have uh, we certainly have considered doing, growing some rye, uh, which seems to do really well in our part of the country. Um, but yet, that's another thing that I'd have to clear some land for, and, and then you have to buy a combine, and uh, and then you have to malt it. Uh, luckily for us, we have Valley Malt, which is I'm, I'm sure Valley Malt has been on the show, and uh, they've been really, really uh, cutting edge in that world. Awesome. One thing about the Amy, you spent some time on. Um Mark's farm. Yes. What is it like harvesting hops? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I just sort of dove in whole hog, and Mark forgot to mention to me that hops are kind of little poisonous buggers, and when you're picking them, your arms, if you are wearing short sleeves as I was, become totally full of rashes and irritated. and irritated and hurt and it felt awful. I kept picking anyway, but I had these rashes on my arms for 2 days. Thanks, Mark. But, but it's la- it's labor intensive, right? It, yeah. it, well, it is. And Amy, uh, just make sure you wear a long sleeve shirt next time. <laughs> All right. And Jay, what about you? You spent some time on the farm? Any any thoughts about it? Or? Um, it was really resting and relaxing after a long, <laughs> long season in Alaska. Enough. So you didn't. Corey, he, Corey had a good question. He was something he wanted to say. Oh no! You. you know what? I was just noticing that. Uh, Mark was, you know, living in Massachusetts, working on the farm, and this is the topic of discussion. It's all super cool, but he still says malt and a couple of other words like a real New Yorker, which I love. <laughs> I really love to hear it. Hey, man, born and raised, you know. So there well, you I go. know you brought some. I'll tell you about hops. So one time years ago, I was in I was on like a hop farm in the Netherlands, and of course, I, I picked the hop cone from the tree and I started chewing on it. <laughs> Next thing you know, I spent about an hour choking <laughs> on the little pieces. So what is what what is this about the hop, Mark? Like. Why is it so magical and it gives so much flavor? But it's it's really, uh, it's well. I mean, this is the thing that makes our beers drink drinkable. It's the it's the bitter that cuts the sweet. So it's very powerful. So if you just take a cone and stick it in your mouth, you I always laugh that whenever whenever somebody does it because they will only do it once. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. See, I, I think everybody should take a whole handful of hops right now and mash them in their hands and then huff their hands because this is the particular way that you smell the quality of the hop. And Mark, what did you bring us? Uh, these are nugget hops. Um, they smell so good, and they are very nice. And, and like I said, they're very—they're about ten point six percent alpha acids, which is fairly high for a hop. So I've had some great success uh, getting my alpha acids. Of course, the, up. the whole room smells like hops, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of—I would say this is people should just start buying bags of hops and putting <laughs> them out. 
I mean, this is like a potpourri. Of, well, I mean, you, you know. could do hot pillows too. Have you ever heard of hot pillows, yeah. Jimmy? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You could do those and have and psychedelic dreams. I, I do want to say <laughs> lavender sachets. <laughs> That, for your yeah, lingerie I, drawer? <laughs> Amy, I love that. <laughs> wow. More women on this show. Wow, undies smelling like hops. I like it. I think we're, if you check out at beer underscore sessions, there's some pretty racy uh, tweets going on. <laughs> My girlfriend's a wine drinker. I'm up the creek. <laughs> you should buy her a hot pillow. She might like that. But so these are the uses of hops. You can do hot pillows. And, and there's a history. We, we'll have another show about this. But you know, if you go up to the Farm Museum in Cooperstown, you know, 1840 recreated. But they have posters of hop dances. And, and other things. I was in Cooperstown checking out Oma Gang for obvious reasons one year. Uh, it was the year before last or a couple of years ago. And uh, I stayed at a bed and breakfast. This is a great story because Cooperstown is a, is a, is a hops town. A lot of hops were, had been grown there. And we stayed at this bed and breakfast and we were talking about hops this, with this guy. And we were uh, that owned the bed and breakfast, and he said, "Well, I actually have some hops growing in my backyard. You know, over on the over on the trellis. Go check it out." And he had the most amazing hops. I mean, like, of course, they were just hanging there. Jack, no, it's beautiful. And Oma Gang's growing up. The last thing, what are these hops? I mean, they're like, are they wet hops? They're, they look super fresh. Oh no, no, no. These are these are dried hops, and uh, they're packaged. For sale. I mean, these are obviously not for sale anymore. But um, the, you know, they're dried and packaged, and I but they're say, not pellets. No, they're not pelletized. I mean, maybe down the road, but I, I, I sort of like it. To, to kick it old school and be natural with the whole hop cones. Not every brewer um, likes to use ho- whole cop, uh, hops in their kettles because the vegetal mass. Yeah, it, it's it's a process. It could be it yeah. could be a problem for some brewing systems and some some people like you know Sierra Nevada they use all the hops. Oh, dude, this is awesome. This, this whole room smells like hops. This is a great experience. People could just what? Can they order hops from you like a bag of hops? They can. They How can, do they yeah. find you? Um, well, they would go to the maltshed.com um, and. And uh, you can email me directly from there, and uh, you tell me what you Check want. Check it out, the I... mall, and soon you'll have a brewery, and people can stay at your house. And this is the place, the <laughs> mallshed.com. All right, so let's wrap it up. Everybody, just, just just give a sign off. Say what's going on in your life, Amy Zavada. I just want to say that there are at least three or four beers here that I want at my Thanksgiving table, and I could plan a whole meal around. <laughs> All right, maybe maybe we should drink New York on Thanksgiving. How about I, that? I think we ought to. Jay, down from Alaska, what are you doing in the next couple months when you're... Uh, I'm traveling up and down the East Coast and enjoying some really good East Coast brews, so thank you, East Coast brewers. I love you. All right, Corey, what's on tap at Beer Street down in the neighborhood? Oh, my God, I haven't been there in two days, so it could be a whole new list. I'm not even sure, but I'm going to head there in half an hour, so if anybody's around, by all means, stop by. All right, and Mark? Well, um, I'm looking forward to going back and, and taking over my position as head pile management at, at Tamarack Farm. But no, actually, we're, Caroline, Caroline and I, my wife and I, are working desperately hard to, to put up a brewery at, at Tamarack Farm. And uh, within the next year or two, that's going to happen. Awesome. And Josh, great. Congratulations on your new place. Thank you very much. We've got 150 beers. Come out and choose whichever one picks your fancy. The well. We're going to go there after the showdown. And then we're going to Jimmy's on 43. It's the ilakepig.com ebook yeah. launch party. All right. right. Yeah. So we got some cool stuff going on. Yes, sir. With Rachel Ward and John Taggart and me, too. So I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And thanks to Amy Mark, Jason, Corey, and Josh for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy. And of course, our head engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. See you next Next time on Beer Sands and Radio. All right, yeah. Animal Instinct. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.